Anybody ever sing that sing that song, Holy, 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 growing up, that hymn? Man, I just, I love that song. I just, it's about 30 years ago that came out, and even as, you know, an early in college guy, man, I just want to quake and tremble like the mountains at the holiness of God. Just he dwells in inapproachable light and people would peer upon his holiness. They would glow, they would die. Like we just don't have any idea who we're just talking to and singing to. It's only through Jesus that we have access to God and that holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Hmm. There's a, a passage I've, I've thought about one of my favorite in Isaiah, I think it's 57, where God's talking about who he is in a vision to Isaiah. And he says, thus says the Lord, the high and lifted up one who inhabits eternity and whose name is holy. He said, I live in a high and holy place. He inhabits eternity. His garment is eternity, and he is high if he's anywhere, and he is lifted up if he's anywhere. And it's like, hello, what's your name? Hi, my name's Holy. What's your name? Oh, Jason. That's his name. And he says, I live in a high and holy place. And in this church, like, we don't want him to come down to our level. The name profanity means we make the holy common. We make somebody holy and we, we bring the cookies down to the bottom shelf and we want him to relate to us and be relevant to us. It's like you are high and holy and lifted up God and you live in that place. And so today we, we just see him as the high king of heaven and we lift our hands high because we bring him our high praise. You're like, why do people lift their hands? He's in a high and holy place. He's, he's up there. He's completely other. And we bring our high praise to him as the high king of heaven. He's literally our royal highness. He's high. And we elevate him and we extol him and adore him. Isaiah was totally blown away. He had this vision of God. I remember memorizing this in college in Isaiah 6, where he said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. There it is again. And he was on the throne. And the train of his royal regal robe filled the temple. This was the vision of God. Blown away, I got to see the Lord high and lifted up. He's on the throne. And just note to, to you guys today, you know, and a newsflash, he's still on the throne. And the train of his robe, I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding with a long train that's like 20, 30 foot long and a bunch of little girls are helping it get to where it needs to go. And this train just wrapped around and around and around because this king's on the throne and the train of his robe, the glory of it filled the temple. And he said, above him were seraphim and each had six wings. 
And with two, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they would say to each other, guess what they were saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. Geeked out at how awesome God is. And this was the calling of little Isaiah. So he catches a glimpse of this. And immediately the first thing he does when he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me for I am undone. And I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips for I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When God just stays in his rightful place and we're not trying to bring him down to be our little buddy, to adopt all of our new standards and ideologies, we allow our theology to be high. When we see him, we're like, man, I'm unclean compared to your clean. I'm unholy compared to your unholy. Woe is me. Why would you even talk to me right now? And he says, I'm undone. Another passage says, I am ruined. Have you ever been ruined by the greatness and holiness of God? I'm ruined. I'm undone. You know you've met God where whatever you've done in your life, he undoes everything. And whatever you learned, he shows up and he's like, unlearn all that stuff. Whatever you heard about me, thought about me, have, have entertained about me, when you catch a glimpse of my holiness and you see me as the king, the Lord God Almighty, I'm just gonna start unlearning and undoing you because he's holy. He's holy. And I remember memorizing that early in ministry because I'm like, God, I want to have that vision of you all my days. I don't want to create a ministry after my image. I want to keep you in a high and holy place where you live. And all the way in Revelation, they're saying the same thing. The living creatures day and night around the throne are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He's been this way. He is this way. He's always gonna be this way. The same yesterday, today, forever. If it was sin 100 years ago, it's sin today. It's gonna be sin 100 years from now. He's not changing. He's the father of lights in whom is no shadow of turning. He's going to stay holy. And if you want to get close to him, you must let him stay the same and you must change. He's not going to change. Bud Light's getting a bad rap right now. But I'll tell you the one that needs to get a bad rap is church light. Where we're somehow watering down the holiness of God so that we have this vibe. This sort of thing where we don't have to feel bad about our sins because we abuse the spirit of God's grace and we call it his blessing. Do not ever confuse the blessing and presence and favor of God with his mercy and his grace on your life. It's not the same. He will be holy. He will be exalted as holy. Peter knew this. One of the biggest 
Nimrods in all of scripture, as unholy as they came, for some reason he was reading Leviticus and he was reading where it said, be holy even as I am holy because he comes and in I think the first chapter of 1 Peter, he said, now just as he who has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all you do. He's talking to the Jewish church at the time. For as it is written, be holy as I am holy. The writer of Hebrews says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and live a holy life because if anyone doesn't live with holiness, they will not see the Lord. (laughs) That's what they were writing to the early church. Paul was about the holiness of God. First Thessalonians, I think verse four, said he didn't call us to impurity, but to live a holy life. Amen. Little Timothy, who he's mentoring, he's like, if you want to be mentored by me, I'm going after holiness. He has called us, Timothy, in chapter one of Second Timothy. He's called us and he saved us to live a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. We're going after holiness, buddy. In chapter two, verse 22, he says, so flee youthful lusts that war against the soul and pursue holiness. Back in college, I memorized a verse in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, where it said, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates us in body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Why was I memorizing that in college? Because I knew, man, left to my own devices, I was an unholy dude, and I was like, God, I want to purify myself from everything that contaminates my body and my spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for you. Everybody loves Jesus. Nobody fears God. The reverence and this revering God, it's just gone in our culture. And Jesus loves us and by his grace, I can stay the way I am. But the fear of the Lord causes us to lift up his holiness. I want to perfect holiness out of reverence for God. And you're like, yeah, but Jesus doesn't talk about this. Oh yeah? I mean, right from the jump, his first service, service that he ever held, his first sermon on the mount, he said, be perfect, even as your heavenly father in heaven is perfect. You'd lose a lot of members on that first day of church planting. And it comes out of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after holiness, they will be filled. If you don't want to be empty in your life, and unsatisfied, the ones who are filled and fulfilled hunger for holiness. And he's like, just in case you didn't get it, a couple later he said, blessed are the pure in heart, the holy in heart. They will see God. They're like, well, I don't see God. I don't hear from God. I don't experience God. I don't, I don't know the presence of God. Are you holy? Are you pursuing that life? So the psalmist says, oh man, God, We extol you. We ascribe to you all the glory due your name in Psalm 29, I believe it is, verse two. And we worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We sing that song and I'm like, oh my word, all these verses of holiness that are just in my heart. Where have I strayed? 
And how does God want to call us back to holiness? Did you know the Wesleyan church is just for hundreds of years, it's been the banner of holiness. To call people to holiness in a corrupt and wicked generation. God, call us to holiness today. And you're like, well, I thought we were in Genesis. Well, now we are, I guess. (laughs) Man, holiness blows my mind. Scariest thing for me is that someday I'm going to stand before the God and he's just going to be like, man, you grew a church. Everybody was excited. There was a lot of energy. There was high energy, but there wasn't high praise given to the high king of heaven. Nobody changed their life. Just added God to their already pretty awesome schedule. I want a holy people. And when we're not holy, I just want us to be like cut to the quick with conviction, confess our sins, receive his forgiveness, and repent because he's holy. I don't know how we're going to transition, but why don't you open your Bibles to Genesis 35? (laughs) It's actually interesting because we're going to kind of talk a little bit about this in here because it's about getting rid of idols. It's interesting We've been looking at, Brian called him a scumbag last week, and he sort of was a sleazebag. And you're going to today, thank God, hear a story where Jacob finally changed. For 30 years since this guy met God in Bethel, he ran 550 miles away to Badam Aram, And he accumulated his wealth and in humanism, he got a bunch of stuff and he had prosperity and he was a self-made man. But we don't read anything like we read in this passage of him saying, God, I'm coming to you on your terms and I'm wanting to get rid of self and selfishness and sin and secrets, and I'm coming, laying myself bare before you, and I'm getting right with God, and I'm gonna lead my family to do the same thing. This is the first time. Chapter 35, verse one, it says, then God said to Jacob, this is after 30 years since the first time he met him at Bethel, go up to Bethel and settle there, bro, and build an altar to God there, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods or these idols that you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Nothing of this had been said before. And I think if it was even said, Jacob's like, yeah, 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 I heard it all before. He'd been to church. How many times have you been to church and you hear a message, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just not in that place right now. I'm not ready to give up my life, my dreams, my agenda, my stuff, my will, my way, my wants. And so thanks God, 
Thanks for all you did. Surely the goodness of God is in this place. He even said it and he was there and was like, man, God, thanks so much. You are the God of Abraham and you are the God of Isaac, of my grandpa, my grand, you know, my dad. But now I've become like in a relationship and he made with God 30 years prior at this place of Bethel. And then he went north 550 miles and just lived a life of humanism. And most Christians Sad to say, they're practical atheists. That is, they believe in God, but live as though he does not exist. This is his life. Deceiving, being deceived, conniving, manipulating after his own self-interests. And he goes to Padam, Padam Haram for literally 20 years till finally God shows up in chapter 31 few chapters earlier and says, bro, I want you to go back. I'm the God of this place, this Bethel place. I want you to go back. I want you to remember and renew your vow to me and come home to where your family lived. He, do you know, no matter how far you run from God, he's still pursuing you your whole life. Maybe you got saved when you were seven or at a camp or you had that experience with God. Surely the Lord is in this place. I'm gonna turn. I'm never gonna turn back. And he's like, remember when you said that? 20 years later, he's like, let's go back to that place. I remember that place too. I'm calling you back. And he kind of waffles and he, he vacillates between the opinion that he has and the opinion God has. And so eventually in verse 31, he's like, I think I'm gonna make my way back. And so he does, he packs up everything, he gets Rachel, he gets his family, he gets all these servants that he has, everything he's accumulated, and he starts going back. And last week, Ryan talked about it. He has this wrestling match with God where he shows up with God. And I, I don't know how to interpret this any other way than he wrestles with God where he shows up with God and he won't let go until God blesses him. And that's America for you. God bless America. God bless me. Bless me. Bless me. And God's like, when are you going to bless me? You won't let go in order for me to bless you. But I don't see you letting go and just holding on for dear life until you bless me. And so he leaves that encounter and nothing changes and he does not go where God wants him to go. He goes to suck off because he sucks. <laughs> he goes to suck off and then pulls in to this town called Shechem. And you know what Shechem means? A shoulder. Anybody ever like been to where God's calling you to go and you pull off to the shoulder? And what was supposed to be a little bit of sight season here turns into 10 years in Shechem. And he pulls off, he sees a plot of land, decides to buy the plot of land. He doesn't go into the city of Shechem. He sees it from a distance because he wants to live on the suburbs. He's not gonna go all the way in. He just constantly wants to, to live near the sin with an eye shot of it. And he's there and he builds an altar to God, has the audacity to build an altar to God in disobedience to a place that God told him not to go. Isn't that just, again, God bless me. God, here's what I've chosen to do. 
here's what I wanna do with my life. And what I'm gonna do, God, religiously is add you to my life and build an altar there and I'm gonna set it up because I want you to be my lucky rabbit's foot. I want you to be a part of my family so that when they come by, they see that I built an altar to a God that we very rarely talk about and certainly don't function living his decrees or inclining our ear to him or obeying his commands. But at least we got that little religious altar called church services on the weekend or I even go to these little groups to make myself feel good. Well, let me tell you something. Your kids don't follow your advice. They follow your example. And if God's not a part of your life, I don't care how and when you build altars in your life, these religious little ceremonies, when you don't go the extra 30 miles, he drove, he, he went, drove, he went 520 miles all the way from Padam Aram and he stopped 30 miles short of obeying God all the way and getting to Bethel. Did you know partial obedience and delayed obedience is still disobedience? So he sets up this altar. It's almost tokenism. And then his family is there and starts growing up. And he has a daughter. His daughter's name is Dinah, the first daughter that he has. And Dinah grows up in this Shechem place because every decision you make, I want you to know, it has ramifications downstream for your family. I wish I could just get to you at an early age and let you know all those little decisions that you don't think are big deals. There's something downstream from that decision. And the decision you make of where you posture your life, orient your life, where you position yourself, your kids will pay dearly for your decisions or be blessed significantly because of your decisions. You stop 30 miles short of obedience, they're gonna pay the price for that. You build a false altar of tokenism and lucky rabbit footism. I'm telling you, your kids can see through that and they don't care about your religion. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? They know the difference. If we don't come into agreement with the holy God and say, I'm going your way all the way, your kids will know about it. And here's what happens. He has his first daughter. She goes out to hang out with her friends and in with the Shechemites, this Canaanite place, this other guy living in Shechem, his name is Shechem of all things. It's a place and it's a person. He violently rapes her, Dinah, his daughter. You think as a dad, you're like, man, I really wish I would have gone to Bethel now. I had no idea we were going to camp out here for 10 years. My daughter's going to go out, spend time with friends, and violently she's going to be raped by someone. And the hurt comes into your life, and you think about the house of cards that is your little fiefdom instead of God's kingdom, and you're like, oh my, what have I done? Well, to make matters worse, he's like, uh, Jacob still is like, oh man, but I just, I don't want to overreact and rock the boat and make the Canaanites kind of hate me. So let me just kind of think about this a little bit. Instead of being heartbroken for his daughter, he's still trying to manipulate reality so that he doesn't offend anybody. Because we're in a culture, we don't care about pleasing God. We care about pleasing people. <laughs> and so his sons are the ones that it says in the text in chapter 34, right before chapter 35, it says they are shocked and incensed. So they come up with this plan to go to the Canaanites, the Shechemites, and the Shechemites, obviously, because of the rape, are like, man, we can't keep our hands off of your daughters. What if we give our daughters to you so that you can have them, and we'll take your daughters for us. Let's make some sort of an alliance. 
And these guys hatched a plan because they'd learned from their dad how to be deceitful and manipulative. And they said, guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna have, this is the craziest story in the Bible. I always loved when I was a kid reading verse, you know, chapter 34 of Genesis because it wasn't on flannel graphs in Sunday school. A lot of stories weren't. This one, they decide to go to them. It's like, yeah, we'll make an alliance with you. What, what we need you to do, though, is we need you to be circumcised, all the men in your community, and then we'll give our sisters and our daughters to you for you to be wedded to them. So they had all these guys cut the end of their members off, and it said the whole camp was in pain and agony. And while they were in pain and agony in their tent, they came in, Reuben and Levi, and they came in and killed all of the men in the community while they were like, Aah. I mean, they weren't up for war. And then Jacob was like, what have you done? This place is gonna turn on us. Still thinking about himself, self-preservation. And what you have in chapter 34 is the only chapter in all of Genesis where God is not mentioned once. No mention of God. It is truly a chapter of godlessness. Shechem represents life without God. His consultation, his advice, prayer to him, seeking his face. Nope, they just did whatever they thought was best. Whatever I think and whatever I want, which is the two definitions of both humanism and hedonism. Wow. Humanism is whatever I think and hedonism is whatever I want and turns my crank and is according to my pleasure. So humanism and hedonism is found in this godless chapter of, of chapter 34. And in the Old Testament, the word for it is Ichabod, which means the glory hath departed. You can build your altar there. God's not there with you. You're on your own. And on your own leads to a bunch of people getting raped and retaliating. Raped and retribution. Violence and vengeance. That's what the world, that's all they know. That's what power is. That's what the wisdom of the age is. That's what the God of this age will download you as the best wisdom. Rape and retaliation. Violence and vengeance. And Jacob's watching his family that he camped them out, sent them to the public school, and then they grow up and they're in this thing and they know nothing of God. And he's like, oh my. And now we come to chapter 35 where God said, it's time to get to Bethel, to settle there, to build an altar. Because 30 years ago, I appeared to you when you're running from your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods that you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. He finally gets it. You don't just build an altar wherever you want to go and say, God's with me. Before you build an altar, you bury your idols. You get rid of your idols. You cleanse your heart. You change your garments. 
These three things in Hebrew culture were outward things that signified an inner reality. It's the removal of these things from my life. There is a clearing of your house. There is a cleaning of your heart. And there is a changing of your behavior. This is where it's conviction that goes to confession that goes to repentance. That's what he's calling his whole household to. And you don't call your household to this until you're ready to do it. The reason Jacob didn't do this up to this point is he wasn't really ready to go to that place himself. Now it's really interesting because back in 31 when they were leaving Padam Aram, as Laban was out in the field shearing the sheep, Rachel, his daughter, went and took the household strange gods of her father, all the idols, and brought them with them. And so now the kids have them, and people have them, and Rachel's got them, and Jacob's got them, and he just didn't have the kahunas to say, "What? no, 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 we're not bringing those with us. We are serving the one true God. You know why? Because he wasn't serving the one true God. And finally, as a man of the house, he said, we're doing it the right way this time. And Rachel, I know you're going to hate me because they mean a whole lot to you, these fair, you know, family heirlooms that you have. But all those idols you brought from your dad's house over the last 10 years, I'm trying to mix God with an altar with the gods of your forefathers. And I'm telling you, they don't seem to be mixing very well. So we're getting rid of those things. We're purifying our hearts. We're changing our clothes. It's a new day around Jacob's house. Because he's holy. He's holy. We can't just come here and sing songs, listen to messages, read our Bible app for the day, the verse for the day, and live like hell and expect heaven to come down and the glory to fill our souls. It's not going to happen. You bury your idols, then you build the altar. And now worship can happen because you cleansed yourself before the clean and holy God. So Rachel has to get rid of all her idols and the kids' idols, and they bury them. It goes on. It says, then come, let us go to Bethel, where we'll build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress. That's what chapter 34 was. Oh my goodness gracious, I have made a mess of my life. I'm in distress. My daughter's raped. My sons are murderers. We're running for our life. It's my fault. And I love what he said. This is the grace of God who has been with me wherever I go. Aren't you glad God's been with you wherever you go? Aren't you glad that God's been with you even before you gave your life to him and pursued you? Aren't you glad this God was with you in your first marriage and your second marriage and your third marriage and your fourth marriage? Aren't you glad God's with you when your daughter gets raped and your sons are murderous? 
and you're living a godless life and still he's hovering around you. Oh no, he's not blessing you. And oh no, you do not have his favor. And no, you don't have his glory shining about you and his protection and his provision. But his presence will pursue you your whole life, even in your sin. And did you know that you can live decades apart from God like Jacob and one day get woken up out of desperation and distress and say, God, no more, not in my house. I'm doing it your way, your terms, your timing. He says, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings in their ears, they were these charms that they had connected to the gods and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Like, it's like, we're not even going to Bethel. We got another 30 miles to travel as a family, but this is staying here because we can't go to Bethel unless we leave Shechem. And we can't build an altar until we bury this stuff under this oak in Shechem and leave it behind and bury it as we'd bury a dead man. You know, I was asking this morning, because I'm sorry I don't have all the happy hops to sanctification in your life today and all the practical little list of 20 things you can get rid of in your life. I just have to trust the Holy Spirit knows what sins and secrets and gods and idols and addictions and affections you have that replace God and where you're dragging God along like a little red wagon behind you and asking for his blessing and wonder why your life has no peace, no fulfillment, no joy, all depression all anxiety, all fear. And I'm just gonna tell you, you can't just keep dragging him around like a little wagon anymore. He's gotta be out in front because he's holy. He's holy. If the church does not elevate the holiness of God, we're screwed. In fact, we're so screwed, and I'm gonna give an account of this someday, that if you stand before God and you're like, impact was a great place, I felt high energy, but man, I don't want high energy, I want high praise that goes to the high king, his royal highness. I changed my life, his holiness impacted me. I started ridding myself, my house. I went home one night and I remember I just cleared the house, all the skeletons in my closet, all my perversion, all the magazines, my computer, all the stuff I had on that, all of my accounts, all my money, all my materialism, all my stuff that I worship, all of my 401k, everything I've given all my affections to, I just am giving that up and I'm burying it in Shechem and then I'm going to Bethel and we're building an altar and it's going to be different from now on and man when a dad says he's going to do that Billy Graham said when a dad chooses to follow God and consecrate his life 60% of the household does the same if the dad does it if the mom does it over 40% of the time the rest of the family will fall in line If the kids follow God first, 25% of the family. Man, when the man of the house says, we're not doing that anymore. Bring your crap. We're gonna follow Jesus and apologizes to his family for camping out at the shoulder of the world, you know, the, the road in Shechem and says, all of that, I hold the bloods on my hands. I'm so sorry. 
We're getting right before God. Now bring your crap. We're burying it into the ground and we're leaving this place like a bad habit. One of the things that God has given me that I have prayed that will never leave me is a sensitive heart. Oh, and I make mistakes. You see it every week. I can't believe he said that. Sometimes I have to go home and repent. Like, God, I am so sorry. My loose tongue gotten me into trouble. It probably did tonight. I have no idea. But God, I'm just coming to you. Just, I need you, God. I want to be pure. I don't want to do anything that defiles you. I don't want anything to profane you, God. I, I truly want a genuine, authentic heart. And I want people to follow you. I mean, I go to conferences and I'm a mess at a lot of these conferences because I go and I'm trying to learn things and I'll have tears flowing on my face as a speaker speaks something and I'm like, boy, that cut me to the quick and it just fillets me open. I'm like, God, I want to change. I want to be like that. I'm not like that. I've strayed from you, God. Be my shepherd. Bring me back home. Are you like that? Your heart ready to be like, I don't care how old I am, how crusty I am, how set in my ways, how calcified I am in my carnality. God, break up all that stuff inside of me and tenderize my heart so I'm sensitive to the spirit. I don't want to live with a seared conscience anymore, quenching the spirit. I want sin to still wreck me inside and to feel ruined and undone by your holiness. And I don't want you to cohabitate with my idols anymore. You tell me what needs to go and I want it to go. I mean, my daughters are sitting here and when they were young, there was alcohol coming into my home and I was going through anxiety and it was starting to come into my home and encroach on my life. And it was like God said, I want you to know you always thought it was gonna be pornography and sexual stuff that was gonna kill you. But I'm telling you it's that bottle right now that you have in your garage and every night you're having one and it won't be long before you're having two and then five and then 12 and you're gonna hide it and it's gonna ruin your ministry and it's gonna ruin and your family, I want you to get that out of your house. And I took all my daughters out when they were little and I apologized for that can of beer next to the, next to the sink and I'm like, I'm sorry. And you're like, oh, that's so little. It's not little. The first day in Shechem seems Awesome. Year one, it seems like the best decision you ever made to buy that land because it went up 20% and you found a great plot on the outside of town in the suburbs, man. It's where the people are moving. What a great decision. God says, get it out of here. And I had every justification. Well, I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I've never been drunk a day in my life. He's like, I don't care about drunkenness. I care about the gateway to what you know. You know that's going to take you down a road. So follow me. I remember as a youth pastor, I would take my kids to these conferences. Remember we went to Bethesda down outside of Indianapolis and I took him there and the speaker spoke and he was just talking to me. Has God ever talked to you when a speaker's speaking? Other than me, obviously. 
And you're like, man, that's my life. Or I came in here with one thing, but he sees my attention. God's got my attention. I'm all ears, God. And he spoke and my heart was beating out of my chest. And I knew I was letting things into my life. And he gave an opportunity, this altar call at the end. You can come forward and you can kneel down at the front and you can surrender and rededicate your heart to God and clean out the skeletons in your closet and give your life to God. And I'm their youth pastor for crying out loud and I remember I was in the middle of the aisle and he was like when the song starts why don't you come forward with your friends and why don't you give your life afresh to God confess your sins bury it in the ground and man I'm telling you the song started I'm clearing the youths out of the way and I'm going through and they're like what's going on with our youth pastor our youth pastor is hearing God say be sensitive to sin and confess it and bury it. Your future depends on it. Your little girls depend on it. Your little boys depend on it. Your household depends on it. Don't play games with it. Don't flirt with it. Don't think like you're managing it and you're in control. Get rid of it. And I would just weep at the altar. I mean, Ryan was at the conference last year. We're at Exponential and we're just crying out and somebody just talking about the Holy Spirit. Man, my tears just flowing down. God, we want you here. That's the first time I heard that. God, I want you in my life. I don't want to be a crusty pastor that starts phoning it in and reheating up leftovers and lifting, living off of yesterday's glory. I want to experience your glory now into the future. I think you can tell when you're under a pastor who's following God in the present into the future, just kind of resting on the laurels of, of an encounter they had in Bethel 30 years ago. And I just sense God's like, just saying today, man, you got to give your church an opportunity to get their butts out of their seat up front, kneeling on the ground with their spouse saying, as for me and my house, it's going to be different. Now, I, I think of this passage, I was thinking about it today, chapter four of Joshua. And he says this, and it's similar to what Jacob was going through. In verse 14, he says, now fear the Lord. Well, there it is. And serve him with all faithfulness, fidelity. He's not going to share you with someone else. He wants your faithfulness. He's going to let you sleep with your sin and sleep with you too. No, I want you to be faithful in this thing. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Because you can't serve the Lord if you're not going to throw away your gods. But if serving the Lord, I love this, because he gives him an out, seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day which side you're going to go on. Whether the gods your forefathers served at the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. He's like, I was hoping you'd react that way. But it's so funny, in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. Did we talk about that today? He's a jealous God. And the people said to Joshua, no, we'll serve the Lord. I love that. He's trying to talk them out of it. You can't handle the truth. 
If it seems undesirable, don't do it because you can't serve two masters. You got to throw away those gods and say, as for me and my house, we're not going to serve our idols and serve God. It's going to be serving God. I don't think you can do it, but we want to do it. No, don't try to talk us out of it. We'll serve the Lord. And he says, okay, then. Now then, Joshua said, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God, and obey him. It's the same yesterday that it is today, and this is the way it will always be. And I know you're in the aisle with somebody right now and it's your household and maybe your wife's got the idols and you're like, I don't want to really mess her up because, man, when she's mad, we're all mad. And it's like, man, happy wife, happy life. And she won't be very happy when I say that's got to get out of our house because I don't think Rachel was. Or who am I for 30 years? I've been doing all this stuff too and then I'm gonna come to my kids after this rape and after this revenge and after this murder and all this violence and they're gonna say, yeah, what gives, dad? Now you wanna serve the Lord after three decades? Give me a freaking break. You're such a fraud. And God showed up to you one time in a ladder to heaven and he showed up to you again and you wrestle with God and it's all about your blessing. And he's like, I don't want to bless you. I want you to bless me. And you have your own brother who's the face of God and he gives you forgiveness and you go to Succoth and, and for 10 years you pull off to the shoulder and you lead us. It's your fault we're in this predicament. And now you want to please God. Oh, dad wants to please God, Reuben. Isn't this cool? Oh, Levi, now he's... He's all like, you know, getting holy and spiritual. See, holiness has just gotten a bad rap. Oh, those holy rollers. That Bible thumper and that little holy huddle. I'm telling you, holiness is not cool, but it will transform your life. Amen. I don't know when we're going to do this. And this is the last week of the series on Genesis and I can't think of a better capstone than to say, gosh, we are messy people that wander around aimlessly with humanism and hedonism expecting God to bless us. And it's time to get right with God and say, it's gotta go. Bury your idols and build an ulcer, altar, an ulcer, and worship God. You might have an ulcer right now thinking, oh my gosh, he's calling us down here into the front. You need to, with your ulcer, come to the altar and just kneel before God and just lay it out and say, that's not happening anymore. Not here, not now, not with me, not with us. We're gonna do things different and I am so sorry that I've led in such a way is to make my decisions go downstream and cause this kind of chaos in our home. And I don't care if you're 85 degrees in this place, 85 degrees, gosh, man, my brain, 85 years old and your blood's at 85 degrees right now. <laughs> it's, it's never too late for God to circle around and say, hey, not your altar, your way, a new altar, build this thing, bow before me and just lay it before me. We're coming to the end of his life. It's like the thief on the cross. He had all this opportunity and finally he gets his poop in a group and God's like, that's grace. It's never too late. 
I mean, I'm just telling you, those stories are going forward for me when I was a youth pastor at different conferences and just kind of crying out to the Lord is what keeps my heart supple and soft and malleable in the hands of God so that the rest of my days I don't become hardened and inadvertently cohabitate with Satan and sin and God and holiness. And I want to play a video. It's called Echo Holy. It's some of what we were talking about, even the beginning of the message where it's like they're in heaven saying, holy, holy, holy. And this is the God that loves us and has met us where we are. And he's calling us to be holy as he is holy. And today, God wants us to lay it before him. So that as this song starts, I'm just gonna ask you with your pounding heart and with your spouse and anybody around you, like can we say as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And I want you on the way home to let the Holy Spirit tell you all the sin and the secret and the idols and all of the stuff that has all this misplaced affection and say, that's God's now. It's a new day. Can we do that today? So as you hear this song, just move to the front. We've got a few minutes here at the end of the service. Your kids are gonna be just fine. And after that, I'm gonna pray. And the prayer team's gonna come up. They're not gonna pray with you. They're gonna just pray over you. And, and you're gonna be like, well, when I come forward, that means that I have sin in my life and I've deviated. Yet you've gone from deviant to devoted today. And you don't have to be ashamed. It's time to put it down and not be like, I'm thinking so much about other people like Jacob did in, in chapter 34. Forget people. Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. Check out this video and just come forward and give your hearts afresh to the God. Rend your hearts and not your garments. God, please move. God, please move. Just come. 